Well, thank you so much for having me here this morning. If you are a note taker, the title of my lesson is The Secret to Paul's Joy and Contentment. The Secret to Paul's Joy and Contentment. And we're going to be studying Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. It is a special day for me. Many of you are aware of the relationship between Countryside Bible Church and North Lake Bible Church. I, uh, I came to know the Lord at First Baptist Grapevine uh, when I was about in fifth grade. And then around seventh grade, so that would be, I won't, I won't say the exact time because you're going to start figuring out how old I am. Uh, in the early 90s, my dad and I came to Countryside Bible Church. And so it is awesome to see here people that were my youth leaders when I was at Countryside, those that were in the youth group with me, uh, later, I, I did an internship through XL Ministries, and I became the youth pastor officially in 2007. So I also have some of my youth that are all grown up as adults. I have some of my youth that are still youth. And so there are many of you that I have been in ministry with, and so it is a joy and a blessing to be here. Now, I know for some of you, you're kind of nervous about that and how well I know you. And so some of you, like Drew, who mentioned that we were... We were college roommates, and we were very close. When I'm talking about joy and contentment, I, I, I promise you, Drew, I'm not going to talk about that relationship and the contentment and the joy that I needed from the Lord when we were living together. And uh, Kevin, Hayden, I'm not going to talk about all the flag football championships that we won together because that would kind of be self-serving. But I did notice, Kevin, that they keep you behind the curtain back there in a cage, which is fitting. And you know what? There's a great story of Matt Luno in a motorcycle, but I can't remember all the details right now. So I'm just going to let you guys talk to Matt about that. Well, in the book of Philippians, we actually are on the, the back end of it in our lesson today. And I know it's, it's always a struggle for me when I go somewhere to pick a lesson because I'm picking a lesson at the end of the book. And you're kind of wondering, well, what happened in the rest of it? But also you're wondering, do you think that we struggle with joy and contentment? Did Dusty put you up to this? Of all things, this is what you picked. Well, I think as Christians, we always can learn more about joy and about contentment. Because God has given us so much, hasn't he? He's loved us so much. He's, he's made us. He owned us. He created us. He's given us salvation. But there are times that we don't look to him. We look at ourselves and what we want. And so our joy can be taken from us. Our contentment can be unstable but this passage today will reveal the secret to Paul's joy and contentment. Section 7 of the book of Philippians would be Paul's praises. And that's chapter 4, 10 through 20. He is praising the Lord. Uh, Gordon Fee summarizes the book and this section with this. With Paul's major concerns about their circumstances now addressed in the book of Philippians. And the concluding exhortations given, Paul now turns in this section at last, to the first reason for writing the letter. To acknowledge their recent gift and thus to rejoice over this evidence of friendship. He's thanking them for the gift that they have given and he is praising God for his goodness to Paul and to this precious church. Section 7 has two subsections. The secret to Paul's contentment is verses 10 through 11, which we're going to look at today. And then the reasons for Paul's praises in verses 14 through 20. And when we look at specifically the secret to Paul's joy and contentment, this isn't the secret that you think of that you hide from people. 
Like you have a secret and so you don't want anyone to know. Paul has a secret and he doesn't want you to know. No, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's recorded it. And Paul would love nothing more than for you to know what this secret is. I would compare it somewhat to uh, in college, I had a friend named Lindley. And she was going to make a, a meal for her boyfriend. And she needed his favorite meal, the recipe from his mom. But mom gave the recipe to her. And she made it, and it was terrible. It was terrible. Well, it turns out that mom didn't give her all the steps. Because that was her baby boy's meal. And so there was a little bit of a, you know what I mean here, right? There was a, a secret part to the process that she maybe inadvertently left out or maybe on purpose left out. Well, there are two main outline points. Number one, examining the secret to joy. We're going to see that in verse 11. And then after that, we're going to be examining the secret to contentment. So let's first of all start with joy in verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now, when it comes to joy and contentment, uh, the, the joy is the, the overwhelming praise and rejoicing and adoration that comes from a right relationship with the Father. The contentment is the, the ability and the, the warm peace to go through whatever circumstance God may put you in. Verse 10, but I rejoiced greatly. You see, first of all, in this section, that the Lord is the source of his always joy. The Lord is the source of his always joy. Paul, why are you rejoicing greatly? I rejoiced in the Lord. Always Paul's joy was rooted and founded in his relationship with the Father. And this is the, the word Lord, kurios, master. Paul has repented of his sins. He's placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has become a new creation. And he walks in lockstep with his maker. And because he loves God, God loves him. And he has joy always. And the word greatly is the, where we get our word mega. This, this mega joy. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. And as we consider his relationship in the Lord and the, the joy that he drew from that, we have to ask ourselves, why does the world fail to have joy? We Christians have joy, but the world, there is no joy. And people ask me all the time, what's the difference between teaching youth group and teaching like adults? And I tell them I use pictures instead of clip art in my lessons. But the other thing is, uh, some of the question in the interaction. So I would normally ask them, and they would give me answers, and sometimes they'd give me a good answer, and I would feed off of it. Sometimes they would give an embarrassing answer, and I would say, ooh, nice try, and we would kind of move on. Well, here, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to supply some of these answers for you, but I would like for you to consider as well. Our world finds their joy, or tries to find joy, through money, through the things that they can buy. They think if they get more and they have more, they'll have more joy. But does, does that work? They think power will give them joy. But power can be taken. Power can be undermined. They think in today's age that social media will give them joy. Man, if I take the perfect picture and I post it to Facebook, 
and you've never done this before. And I keep going back and checking how people react to this. The more likes I get, the happier I am. But sometimes your, your kid's baseball tournament they won. When you post it on Facebook, no one liked it. And then your world is rocked and all of those things. We take joy in sexual immorality. We take joy in, in our own selfishness. The joy of the world does not come from the Father who is the giver of all good things. So that joy does not satisfy. That joy does not last. I would like for you to turn with me to John chapter 3. And you're very familiar with John chapter 3 because it's the, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in the night. Nicodemus, one of the leaders of the Pharisees, had come to Jesus to speak to him, being too embarrassed to come during the daytime. And Jesus says this in John 3.19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. The light's a good thing, right? Jesus is the light. Dark and dying world, destined to go to hell, and the light has come to show them the way. And men, what? Loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested, have been, having been wrought in God. The world loves sin. The world loves materialism. The world loves the power grab. and The, the world loves popularity. And none of those things satisfy. None of those things bring true joy. I would like for you now to, to turn to Proverbs 9 with me. Proverbs 9, God being a gracious and wonderful God calls out to us and shows us the way and shows us how we can have true joy and that true joy is in him. But all the unbeliever with his hard heart ignores the offer. Proverbs chapter 9, it says wisdom, wisdom we know is knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She's also set the table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding, But what does the world do to this wonderful offer of wisdom? God says, I have salvation for you. And not just a, a get out of hell free card. I have a right relationship with the one who made you. Where you will glorify me and enjoy me forever. And it's beautiful. Joy upon joy upon joy. And what does the world say? No, thank you. Reminds us of Isaiah 53, 6, right? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us our own path. We think we're smarter than God. We think we know more than God. But Paul, and you know this, right? This isn't a secret that you're like, wow, his joy was in the Lord. That's amazing. You already knew that. But I want you to meditate on that. It, it wasn't in his, his status and his power and his prowess and his popularity. His always joy that can never be robbed from him is in the Lord. It's in the Lord. 
But the second part of examining the secret to joy would be the Lord's people is the source of his current joy. The Lord's people is the source of his current joy. And I'm a, I'm a big outline guy, so I don't want to talk too fast and miss everyone. But we have, number one, examining the secret to joy. And under that, we have the Lord is the source of his always joy. And now we are looking at the people, or the Lord's people is the source of his current joy. Starting again in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last... You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. You see, God's greatest two commandments. Love God and what? Love people. When you look at the Ten Commandments, that's how it's divided up. The first four are all about loving God. All right, We call that our vertical relationship with God. So you love God, and because you love God, you love people, and you especially love God's people. So when it came down to Paul, he knew that he would rejoice greatly in the Lord, but he also rejoices greatly in the Lord's people and what is going on in their life, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Which brings up the interesting question, because when we think of revived, we think of the video game where you die and you have to be brought back or something like that. Revived. Or it's a boxer that got knocked out and they have to take those little funny deals and put it under their nose and somehow it pops him up. It wasn't that they were callous towards Paul or that they didn't care about him. The, the Greek word means to be in an identical state as before. So Paul had been there. He had shared the gospel with there. He had taught them, and there was this wonderful fellowship that was going on. But over time, there's a little bit of a distance there. And now it's, oh, that wonderful relationship that we had before. <gasps> Paul needs us. Boom. And it's revived again, so they are now in the same state as they were before when they were walking in lockstep with one another. Indeed, you were concerned, you were thinking of me, you were understanding my situation before, but you lacked opportunity. And let this be a lesson to us. Sometimes we think that when there's a trial and when there's a need that God may be angry at us, that God may be displeased with us, but here is a need that came up. And because of this need, it gave the Philippians an excuse to interact with Paul and to share with Paul. And boom, Paul is encouraged and he rejoices because of this. Why does this give Paul so much joy? I'd like for you to turn back to the, the front of the book, Philippians 1. And you're like, that is much easier to find than Proverbs, all right? Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. 
Paul had gone to Philippi. He had preached the gospel there. He had made connections. He had fallen in love with the brethren that were there. And then the Lord had him move on to other things. And now he's rekindling and he's reviving this relationship, hearing about how well that they're doing. And he says in verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul took great joy in the growth and the obedience of other Christians. Great joy. Sister book to Philippians would be the book of Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul wrote, I want all of you to know how great a struggle I have had on your behalf and for those that are Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face. And you get that, right? He says, look, even people I have never met before in my life. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I have struggled and labored for you even if I don't know who you are. And now to see fruit coming from that, Paul rejoices. We get that as parents, right? When we teach our kids something and they actually do what we taught them, we go, whoa, this is awesome, right? This is amazing. It must be a work of the Lord. This church that Paul had preached to and established and all of those things is walking faithfully and he takes great joy. You see, Paul had what I call, he wore Great Commission goggles. Great Commission goggles. He didn't wear me goggles, all right? You put the me goggles on, and all you see is what? Me, which for you, you see me. Okay, that's confusing, all right? You don't want to just see yourself and your needs and your wants. He put on those goggles, and he saw God's plan, and he saw the unbelievers as a mission field, and he saw... The believers as fellow co-heirs in Christ. And let's do this. And it reminds me of our relationship with you. Reminds us of our relationship with you. I, I, I was trying to remember. I can't remember. Sometimes all the years run together. But I think I've been an elder at Countryside for maybe eight years or something along those lines. And we had many meetings and many discussions about church planting and all of these things. And, and it, it was difficult to see so many people that we loved leave. And some of you were happy to leave. No, I did not say that out loud. Strike that one from the record. We had youth leaders that left. And we had call, and all of these things. But wow, you have to know, I am so excited to be here this morning. To see your faithfulness to God's truth. To listen to you singing songs that are just right from the scripture. To see warm and friendly faces. Parents that are dedicated to the truth of the word and bringing your kids up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I take joy in that. And so when you are looking at life and you're looking at the circumstances and you're looking at the difficulties, you will be persecuted if you love Jesus. There will be trials. That is a guaranteed thing. But please take joy in the Lord. And then take joy in your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Be excited for them. Love them. It would be tempting for some to be jealous of another church and the things that are going on. But that's not so and that's not the case. We rejoice. The gospel is going forth. People are being discipled. 
take great joy in you? Do you deliberately take joy in the growth and the development of other brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, the secret is no secret at all. We just have to apply it. Secondly, let us begin examining the secret to contentment. Examining the secret to contentment. And how would we define contentment versus joy? Well, Paul tells us that. He gives us that. He says this in verse 11. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Your Bible probably has a little number. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. All right, I could have acted like I came up with it on my own. But there's a little number when it says the word content. And it says self-sufficient. All right. So contentment is not wanting. Not wanting, but it also means to be sufficient, which is satisfied. Satisfied. Now, it's not to say that you're like, man, I, I would like for this to happen. Or this would be great if this worked out. But it's saying, what is my present circumstance? How much money do I have? What, what is my church like? Where am I living? What are my relatives like? What are my kids doing? Oh, I'm content. I'm content. Maybe I'm praying for some things to change. Maybe I'm praying for growth and progress. May I, I'm praying through those things, and I'm asking the Lord, but while I'm waiting on that, and if he never changes it, I am satisfied. Brothers and sisters, are you satisfied this morning? Are you satisfied? If you are, it's because of what we're going to talk about. And if you aren't, you need to listen to what we're going to talk about. So we are examining the secret to contentment. And in that, and I, I use letters. I've got A. He learned from Jesus. You can put number one if you would like, but it's confusing to have a number two with a number one right under it. He learned from Jesus. And I know, you started thinking of that cheesy commercial. He went to Jared's. Stop it. That's not what I'm going with here, all right? He learned from Jesus. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. You see that word learned, you, it's also in verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see the Greek word is the same here in verse 11 as it is in verse 9. But there's a little bit slightly different emphasis. In verse 9, he's saying, I gave you instruction. And you took that instruction and you learned from it. In verse 11, the nuance is, the word is coming to realization. Taking place not from instruction, but through experience. Through experience. Some of you know that some people have got to learn things the hard way, right? But many, they're not auditory learners, all right, they're the other thing that you use your hands, but I can't remember what the schools call that. The visual thing I got, the hearing, auditory, but the hands-on thing, I can't remember. you got to actually do. And when you do, you learn how to do those things. And that's what he's talking about. We see this same word in Hebrews 5.8. In Hebrews 5.8, it says, Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews, whoever he may be, is not saying that Jesus was disobedient. 
And somehow he learned obedience. He's saying he learned to sympathize and he grew in obedience to the Father from the things that he suffered. Paul is saying it wasn't enough for Jesus just to tell me. I had to go do it. And when I did it, I learned from it. Well, how did he learn this from Jesus? Well, we know that this is rooted in his salvation. It's rooted in his salvation. In Matthew 11, the familiar verses, 28 through 30, Jesus called out, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So first of all, those of you that are fighting against God, do you know, unbeliever, that if you are not in Christ, you are an enemy of God? The world is fighting against God. And he says, I'm giving you an offer to rest. Rest in your ceasing uh, to submit to God. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You get it? The connection is there. Just like an ox would take the yoke and would be put to work, in doing that, you will learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, Jesus doesn't save us just to get out of hell. Jesus doesn't save us just to live our best life now, whatever that might be. Jesus saves us to work. To work for his kingdom, Ephesians 2.10, right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works so that we would walk in them. And as we do those good works, we learn from him. We learn what it means to be content. I'd like for you to flip over to Acts chapter 9. And you recall this is Paul's conversion He was having Christians arrested and thrown in jail, thinking he was doing the right thing before God, but he was blinded in his sin. The Lord Jesus appears to Paul, blinds him, calls him to repentance. Paul repents and uh, accepts the gift of salvation. And after this, let's look at verse 11. It says, The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. He has seen in a vision that a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, telling Ananias, go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And some of you are going, Amen. Let it be me, Lord. Use me. I like this. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. I am out. Pick someone else. Pick someone else. The suffering taught Paul. His simple obedience to his master put him through difficult situations, but it taught him, we want the easy path, don't we? We think that contentment is taking the easy road, the road of less confrontation. But in fact, you submit to Christ and you do the hard things of life, and that's when he teaches you 
about contentment. As you flip back to the book of Philippians, Paul comments on this in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember the whole thorn in the flesh thing? And Paul had implored God to take the thorn in the flesh from him. God says to him, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Your workplace, you have people that are difficult to work with. You have people that pass get passed over for, you know, you get passed over for promotions or whatever it is and all of these things and circumstances. And you got people in the neighborhood that are hard to live in. But we can be content because his grace is sufficient for us. Do you remember what happened to Paul previously when he was in Philippi? The man was beaten and arrested. And that's when you have the Philippian jailer who came to know the Lord through Paul's simple obedience to Christ. How do I learn this from Jesus? How do I learn this from Jesus? Well, I tricked you actually. I told you to go back to Philippians. and I'd like you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. For some of you it's easier than others because you just click, click, click and then you are there. But others you... Maybe get a paper cut a little bit. You remember the great hall of faith from Hebrews 11. All of these saints that have gone before us. Chapter 12, verse 1, the writer says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us do what? Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. So actually, there are two parts to this. The encumbrance is not a sin situation. The encumbrance would be like if you wanted to, to run a marathon, which I have no idea why anyone would ever want to run a marathon. Um, but if you took a weighted vest, and you put that weighted vest on, and you tried to run that marathon, you probably wouldn't make it very far. That would be an encumbrance to you. That would be something that's tangling you up. And there are things in our life that they are fine. They, they are fine to participate in. But sometimes the way we treat them or the way we allow them to infringe upon our walk with Christ, they become an entanglement. You know, in the world I live in, a lot of times sports becomes that entanglement where it's great to play sports, but it's sports is the one that's kind of driving the train, right? And if my kid wants to do this and he wants to be successful and this needs to happen, well, I can't go to church here and I can't do this at church and I can't do all of those things. And then it's like, well, is that an encumbrance now? Is that an encumbrance? Like if there are things that keep you from consistently coming to church and worshiping with Lord, the Lord's people, you need to start looking at that encumbrance category type of thing. Sometimes there are things that we really like and we're really passionate about. Maybe you have a hobby, all right? You know, I, uh, as an intern, I... I had some time, my wife was doing an internship uh, to be a dietitian, and so I had a lot of time on my hands, so I played a lot of golf. Every Monday I would go play golf, and somehow I got worse. Every time I played, I got worse. I don't know how that works. I don't have a golf mentality. You know, when I play a sport and I don't do well, I try harder. Try that in golf. 
okay, it doesn't work out. But I would go play, and I was terrible, and I was spending all this money. And then eventually I found an out. I'm like, look at all the time I'm spending on this. And I'm not saying you can't play golf. But if I went out now and I play golf several times in a week, my wife would be like, honey, we're over here. Come back. And so we have to evaluate those things in our life. Sometimes there's some encumbrances that we have to put aside so that we can read, so that we can pray, so that we can fellowship with God's people. All right? And I'm, I'm not saying you can't play golf anymore because I know some of y'all wouldn't like that. And that's, that's not true. All right? But there are also not only encumbrances, there are sins that in- easily entangle us. All right? It could be that your joy is not there or your contentment is not there because you are participating in sins. And that sin will not satisfy. It won't bring the, the end result that you're looking for. You actually have to, Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. You have to put off that sin and you have to put on righteousness. Which, by the way, when, uh, when they were asking me what I was going to teach, I'm like, well, what is Dusty teaching? And they said the book of Colossians. And I said, great. Let me know what passage he's supposed to teach next. And I'll teach that one. No, I was kidding. I was kidding. Which, by the way, he did text me this morning a very encouraging message. And he was like, I'm so, thanks for coming today. It's going to be great and all these things. And so I text him back, what, that's today? (laughs) But I quickly updated it. Dusty and I, I didn't mention this, but Dusty and I have a great relationship. When he was working at Countryside, wonderful working relationship. He made the coffee. I drank the coffee. All right? Everything worked out. We tried it the other way around, and it was disastrous. I won't go into details, though. So here we are. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not some other race, but the race that God has placed before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So the example is, fix your eyes on Jesus. Difficulties, hard times, you can have joy, you can have contentment, because you are fixated on him. Just like when he was being beaten and whipped and nailed to a cross, he set his eyes on what? The joy of our salvation. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him who has endured such hostility of sinners against him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's a very simple, that's how we do it. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We do what Jesus wants the way Jesus wants. Go back to Philippians 4. Paul just said in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Take your mind and saturate it with these things. Place your mind on all of this good stuff. Because when I look at the world and I worry about the things of the world, and wanting to be like the world, my eyes are not on Jesus. And my contentment is gone. It's gone. And we can be depressed, and we can be angry, we can be upset, and all of that stuff. Go to Jesus. Paul learned from Jesus. Secondly, B, he practiced by serving Jesus. He practiced by serving Jesus. Jesus. And you know how it goes in the book of James, right? We consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why do I consider it joy? Woohoo, I'm going through a difficult time. It's not like that. 
knowing that the testing of my faith produces what? Endurance. And I am to let that endurance have its perfect result in my life. I go through difficult times and difficult things simply serving Jesus, and he is going to grow me. Paul did that. He practiced by serving Jesus. You see, first of all, that he is content with humble means. Verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to get along with with not having a lot. Whatever the circumstance might be. We know that Paul was shipwrecked. We know that Paul was beaten. We know there's times that he was hungry. There was times that he was cold and he was tired. All of these things were a teaching tool for Paul. I want you to go real quick. And we're going to look at this. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you're very familiar with Paul, but I want to cover this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that the one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they might, what? So who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Verse 20, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of of God in him. Go to chapter 6, verse 4. In this role as an ambassador for Christ, a new creature, it says, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, and imprisonments, in tumults. And then we pause right there and we say, you know what? Life is hard, Justin. You've been beaten for Christ lately. You've been thrown in prison for Christ lately. This man knew how to get along with humble means. And these difficulties trained him. It says in labors, verse 5, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right and the left. Verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We read from there earlier about how his grace is sufficient. Verse 7, for because of this surpassing greatness of the revelations given to me, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. When I think of my life is difficult, whatever this is, some would say that this was a physical ailment, some would say that this was persecution. I don't have a thorn in the flesh tormenting me like Paul did. This man knows how to live in humble means, and then we have right there, God telling him, my grace is sufficient for you. What does this mean in my life? On the one hand, my life is a pleasure cruise 
compared to Paul's. I know, I know you're going through difficult times. Many of you, maybe it's a family situation. It could be an employment situation. Whatever it might be, we go through difficult times. But my, my life is a pleasure cruise compared to Paul's. But then the other side, I need to realize that difficulties train me for contentment. Difficulties train me for contentment. Next of all, we see that he is content in prosperity. So he is content in humble circumstances. He is also content in prosperity. You see this in Philippians 4 verse 11. It says, uh, reading on, it says, And I also know how to live in prosperity. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And you're thinking, I like this one. This one's good. All right? God, would you please test me with prosperity to see if I can remain content in you? You think that way, right? Remember Proverbs 32, things I ask of you, do not refuse me for my, before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. But give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord, or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of God. Isn't that interesting? Are there any examples in this life of celebrities or athletes having an abundance of wealth and living a disastrous life with no peace, joy, or contentment? Yes. Lots of people thought money was going to make it all good. They thought that job promotion was going to solve everything. And then they look at it and their life is a dumpster fire and they say, what happened? Contentment comes from Christ. Lastly, we see that we are content in all situations. He says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Whatever God puts you in, you can have contentment. Lastly, from this section, remember we're looking at contentment. He drew strength from Jesus. So just a quick recap. We see that he learned from Jesus. He practiced by serving Jesus. And now we see that he drew strength from Jesus. And here we have the verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How does the world butcher this verse? I'm going to write that on my batting glove. And when that pitcher throws that curveball, I can hit it over the fence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Babe, good luck on that promotion. I know I can get it because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what he's talking about. Humble circumstances, prosperous circumstances, whatever it might be, you can do it. There is no time that God has placed you in a situation where you can't handle it if you are in Christ. He gets his strength from Jesus. You're familiar with the superhero Superman who gets his strength from the sun, which makes him more lame than Batman, who doesn't need the sun for his strength. But Superman draws his strength from the sun. We draw our strength from Jesus Christ. From Jesus Christ. So we meditate on him. We pray to him. We read about him. We sing songs. We fellowship with his people. And all of things give us that contentment. Well, in conclusion, 
as we wrap this up. First of all, I would like for you to learn joy and contentment from Jesus. Learn joy and contentment from Jesus. And as I mentioned, you might be thinking, well, how am I practically going to do that? Are you reading his word? Are you reading his word? When you open up the pages of his beautiful book that he's given to you, and you read about Jesus and how he did things, and you read about Paul, it makes you want to be like them. But if you just take that Bible, and it's over there collecting dust, and then you sit there and go, God, why am I not content? Well, he's told you that a young man can keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word. He's told you that in, in Psalm 119.11 that your word I have treasured in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Treasuring it means reading it, means studying it, means meditating on it. Secondly, first of all, we're learning joy and contentment from Jesus, not from the things of the world. We are practicing through serving Jesus. Remember, your life, Christian, is about service. There is both formal service, which comes uh, through a ministry of the church, but there's also informal service where we are daily sacrificing ourselves for other people. And in doing that, it's backwards from the world. The world thinks that if I lay around and someone else is feeding me grapes and they have a big feather thing making sure I'm fanned, then I'm going to be content. That's not what God made us for. He made us to serve, and in doing so, we get joy and contentment. But then lastly, rely on the strength that comes only from Jesus. You cannot be content on your own. You cannot have joy on your own, which makes me want to remind you, all right? I, I don't want to assume that everyone here is in Christ. And if you are an unbeliever and you want joy and you want contentment, you are not going to get it unless you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I don't have joy. I don't have contentment. You can only get it through a right relationship with your heavenly father. And today, if you would turn from your sin, because remember the world loves sin, but the sin doesn't get you anything. If you turn from that sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose on the third day, you will have a right relationship with God. You will be washed by the blood of the Lamb. You will be forgiven of everything that you have ever done. Every bad deed that you will ever do has been paid for at the cross. And you'll be a new creation that can have joy and can have contentment. I plead with you to come to Christ, to come to Jesus. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this precious time where we as your people can gather together and worship you through song and worship you through the word and fellowship with one another. Lord, these things bring joy because they are about Jesus and they are for Jesus. And Lord, if there is anyone here today that is on the outside looking in, I pray that you would break them of their sin. They would repent and become one of your people through faith in Jesus Christ. And for all of us, Father, I pray that we would remember that we were made right with you. We were made to be able to have joy and contentment by your perfect sacrifice. Your perfect sacrifice has brought us near. We once, your we, we once were your enemy, but now we are your friend. 
You have poured out your riches of your glorious grace upon us. And your mercy and kindness know no end. But when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we forget these things. So right now, we place our eyes firmly on the cross. And we thank you. We thank Jesus. And we want to continue to do that throughout our life. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray.